Oh, excellent. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. Uh, I feel like starting a riot myself, you know. I, I have a um, big banana plushie that I'm holding currently. It's very soft and yes. Can we, can we like Maybe start the, the, the actual nice. uh, discussion in like three minutes? Yeah, yeah, we can start the discussion in three okay. minutes. I started over so early, so I actually have a bit more time yeah. to, to stream today, so that's good. And uh, In the meantime, Heat Seeking Sword, uh, I think we're going to need pictures of that, buddy. Wait a second. <laughs> that's right. Oh, um, why don't you guys uh, speak to Twitch? Sorry, go ahead, Buns. Oh, I said, why don't you guys stream to Twitch, by the way? I mean, you could probably get some views in there. Because um, I would grab the band in like two days. Wow. Uh, to be honest, I don't actually know. Um, I think uh, I I'd have to check out if I could stream to. Can you stream to both Twitch and YouTube at the same time? Yeah, you uh, should be you able can do, to. Uh, obvious. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, uh, in that case, yeah, I may as well. I'll see if I can get it to work with OBS. Um, uh, you know, uh, bear with me because I'm a bit technologically impaired. But um, hey, if it works, I mean, why not, right? I always thought uh, yeah, Twitch I mean, was more like very much specific towards gaming, but I suppose uh, YouTube's like stream is is as well. Um, oh wow! Yeah, Keep thinking, sword. That that banana uh, turned out way more wholesome than I expected it to be. Well, <laughs> what do you expect? I didn't know what to expect to be honest. I was a bit worried asking for it. There's an IRL portion. There's an IRL portion on Twitch now, so you can kind of stream yourself eating if you want to or anything. Ah, yeah, yeah, like streaming myself eating it, that, that's big business, that's where the money's at, need to get need to get that done. Yeah, mukbang. Yeah, 100%. Did you see that lady that hmm. eats uh, an octopus live, or is it, yeah, an octopus live? Oh, that's like it a, was that, a Korean lady. Yeah, that's like a Korean thing, like that's a relatively common dish in Korea. No, but it's dead, like she ate it live. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 like, uh, oh, uh, I don't know how alive it is, but I know there's definitely, like, a dish that you can get in Korea where it's, like, it's wriggling. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not sure what it's called. Post-mortem uh, nipple contraptions, I guess. Anyway, it's, some, it's something or other. Um, oh, all right, so, look, uh, in the two or three minutes, Captain Locke uh, is away, and he helps me... Uh, keep all of you guys in line. Um, I'm going to go through the sort of general housekeeping stuff of the Q&A. Uh, the, the first and foremost one that's kind of helped us out a lot uh, is that if you are on the Discord server, um, just keep your microphone muted by default. Um, that way we avoid people echoing or hot micing like is a hit right now is. Um, you know, perfect example. Thank you for that. Uh, now, if we do sort of see hot micing, we have to sort of like manually sort of shuffle down uh, amongst everyone and, and, and mute you. Uh, and it's sometimes a little bit annoying. Uh, it can interrupt the stream and, it, and it's, you know, it's annoying. Now, of course, if you have a question, uh, of course, you know, feel more than free to take yourself off mute. At the end of the day, we're here to have a discussion. Um, but we just really don't want to be talking uh, to people that are, you know, echoing like crazy because uh, it sort of is somewhat annoying. Um, outside of that, um, as always, um, we try to keep to um, the topic at hand, uh, at least for the first half of the Twitch stream now. Uh, I uploaded the video just a little bit earlier tonight. Uh, it's still 1 o'clock or 12.45 uh, a.m. here in Australia, but uh, I thought, oh, I believe this will give us a little bit more time to go 
uh, go through everything, go through a Q&A in a bit more depth, because uh, I feel like we've been sort of rushed for time and I feel sort of um, sad uh, only giving you guys an hour to, to ask questions. I feel like sometimes I'm just sort of cutting off and it's like, okay, yep, but it's 3 a.m. I've got to go to sleep now, guys, bye. Um, so hopefully this gives us, just, you know, maybe even if it's only an extra half hour. Um, but now that Catherine Locke's back, um, you will see uh, the, the post that he has put here um, at sort of outlines what we've talked about in the video specifically, uh, everything around negative oil pricing, uh, derivatives, negative value items, uh, and everything sort of somewhat uh, aligned with that. Uh, now, if you do have a question that does fall outside of that, uh, that's fine, you know, feel free to ask away. Um, but if we could ask at least in the first sort of half hour or so, if you can just ask questions specifically related to that, uh, it helps us keep on topic until, I don't know, something eventually derails it, but that's, I don't know, that's probably part of the fun. So I would like, I would say that it's, you know, it's not, you don't have to follow it strictly. Uh, it's more of a, a template for questions people might ask. So I kind of predict ahead of time, common more, questions. Uh, guidelines yeah. and actual rules. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Either way. Either way, indeed. Beautiful. All right, so um, I suppose to kick us off, does anyone have any questions? Well, actually, I suppose I hope you guys all enjoyed the video as well and staying safe and all that sort of warm, fuzzy stuff. Uh, but yeah, does anyone have any questions either here or on the YouTube live stream uh, they'd like to ask and we can go over it then. So if oil is crashing, does that mean electric, uh, electric cars and renewables are going up? Yeah, that's a good question because normally when we think of uh, economics, we think of uh, competitor goods so it's a big important... or for example um, for, for example do you know that solar was actually an idea pushed pushed by um, by oil companies it was like during the oil uh, the, the Iran uh, crisis that uh, oil companies are, start, are trying to like find alternatives to uh, to like the, the stabilized oil prices so they actually funded uh, research on solar and that was how we have the solar systems that we have today. Yeah, it's an interesting one, that isn't it? Because uh, it seems sort of yeah, counterintuitive and you know, sort of like shooting themselves in the foot a little bit. Um, but that's sort of two questions in one. Now, I'll I'll touch on the first one, um, and and I think it's probably something pretty correct and something that probably should have maybe discussed in the video actually. And now that I think of it, I'm sad that I didn't. Um, which is. Uh, look, if, if oil prices are going down and down and down, and you know we're seeing these instances where, in some cases with some contracts, oil prices negative dollars per barrel, uh, what's that going to mean for things like electric cars or, um, you know, let's say solar installations on our home or batteries and all that sort of stuff? Because uh, obviously that's going to pass along to us, and it's going to be a lot cheaper to, to fuel a, a gas-guzzling car these days than it will be to, you know, maybe that upfront cost to move into an electric car. Uh, it's going to take a lot longer to, to, to make that sort of cost-benefit analysis actually sort of pay off. Uh, and that's a really great question. Now, that is something that we sort of study in economics, um, and it's sort of outside our standard demand and supply uh, modelling, and it's called competitor goods. So something that's pretty influential on, um, you know, what the price point of an item actually sort of lands on is the price of competitive goods. Uh, so, for example, let's say, um, you know, if you're looking to, to buy, uh, I suppose a car is the easiest one to use as an example. Um, you know, you want a, you know, a four-door sedan family car with a good safety rating and, you know, a reasonable price because, you know, you only have the, uh, the ability and or um, the desire to spend, let's say, $30,000. Um, so that's your sort of logical cap in, in your, you know, demand. Uh, and of course, there are a few 
you know, places that supply this. Um, now you might say, oh, okay, well look, this Honda Civic looks great. Um, you know, it sort of ticks all of my boxes, but hey, you know, this Toyota Corolla um, is $5,000 less. So outside of the market for Honda Civics, there's this other one, Toyota Corollas. Um, and even on a sort of larger scale, you might sort of say, okay, well, those are sort of tightly correlated markets. They're sort of more or less interchangeable. But let's say something like this happens. Uh, the government announces that there are uh, $1 Uber rides for everyone. Who's going to want a car anymore, right? And that's something where, yeah, okay, so Honda Civics versus Toyota Crawlers, they're competitor goods, but also sort of outside of that, um, you know, there are things like alternative goods, like let's say, you know, you know, decent public transport that actually works um, that might sort of alleviate the desire for that there as well. Um, so it, it will be interesting. And of course, you know, the cheaper that something um, that can facilitate the same sort of function gets, um, you know, the less competitive the, the original thing was. So I think it's going to be uh, a bit of a rough one for Tesla. My, my hope is, look, uh, I think ultimately uh, electric cars, people see them as a bit more of a long-term thing. And I think um, I, I would make the bold assumption to assume this. Uh, most people that are buying a, a new Tesla, Tesla Model 3 or, um, you know, an Audi, an electric Audi or, or whatever the other alternatives are, and even some of the cheaper electric cars, uh, I'm not sitting there with an Excel spreadsheet going, ah, oh, well, you know, look, I'd love to get this new Tesla Model S P100D with launch control, but, you know, now it's going to take two and a half years to break even on it, as opposed to uh, one and a half years that, you know, if it wasn't for this this oil crash. Um, I think there are other things sort of driving the demand for these types of cars. So um, the answer to the question is yes, it should. Will it? Eh, probably not. I think it's more of a prestige thing at this point to drive an electric car. Mm. Can uh, I interject a quick correction? One person, one person, hang on. Uh, uh, I think so it was heat-seeking heat. sword, yeah. yeah. Heat, heat, go ahead. Yeah, um, so you mentioned uh, fertilizer was made out of crude oil. Uh, it's made out of natural gas. Sorry, just real quick. The chemistry me couldn't let it go. Well. Ah, okay. Well, actually, fair enough. There, I did not know that. Uh, I thought it was like, it was either uh, gas or, uh, you know, petroleum, uh, sorry, crude oil. Uh, I thought as long as it had uh, lots of carbons and hydrogens in there, it was all good to go. But yeah, what do I know? Yeah, I was, yeah. I was expecting when the video came up that you would talk about uh, hydrocarbons a bit more. Uh, surprised that you didn't. Well, I'm, uh, I'm kind of glad that uh, kind of glad that I didn't. Oh, I have heat-seeking sword and his banana freaking fact-checking me. <laughs> sorry, bro. No, 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 of course. Also, you left, out, you left out the upstream, the midstream, the down. I'm joking. <laughs> No, right, I have. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm going to leave it for now. You go, you guys. No worries, thanks. thanks right. Lord. Yeah. Uh, sorry, someone had a question there. Yeah, I, I had a yeah, question. Yeah, here there. Uh, uh, sorry, no, no, I was sorry. wondering if the price elasticity of the oil might have contributed to this crisis. Because uh, let's say we have a production of electricity that's much more rapid in re response to the demand. Would you think that this crisis might have been? Um, Essentially. Well, I think if we had um, sort of a bit more flexibility in the market, of course, um, you know, and it's not even sort of things like, um, you know, consumers being able to it, but there's a lot of inbuilt rigidities uh, in the market, of course, you know, things like um, derivatives sort of have their own sort of inbuilt derivatives because effectively they're a contract. Uh, you know, you do this on this day, no exceptions, that is what it is, otherwise you've disobeyed this contract. 
um, you know, we'd either take you to court or, um, you know, you just sort of get settled financially. Um, and then, of course, there are um, sort of structural inefficiencies and structural rigidities in the fact that, you know, um, we can't burn oil or p keep it in our swimming pools. We need places where we can store it effectively. Uh, and the same goes for things like demand. Yeah, um, you know, it would be great if people could take advantage of this cheap oil right now, like electric companies. But uh, at the end of the day, they've sort of got limitations on their supply. So uh, I'm sure that any company out there that has the ability to store some more oil is doing it, uh, especially if they're in an industry that uses it. But um, of course, you know, there's only so much that you can ultimately take on board before you are literally overflowing. Um, and I think that hopefully sort of answers your question there as it relates to sort of inefficiencies there. Yeah, and I want to add something to that. So people's common understanding of like what oil is, they think of it as just one product, but you know, as the video within the video, you know, he touched on the fact that the oil is the crude or crude oil is the starting product. Uh, if you were to use crude oil as your input for say burning it so that you could get electricity, uh, that's not going to be as efficient as burning, you know, the actual, uh, the proper chemical, the proper, uh, hydrocarbon chemical, because that one's going to give you more energy, uh, per, per mass. I don't know. I'm going to like, uh, where's the chemist at where, oh, heating sort left. Dang it. You can be like, ah, lock, you're using all the incorrect terms. But the key thing to understand is that, uh, this is, we're talking about crude oil here. And, uh, so being able to have like flexibility of just switching from, uh, or like being able to burn uh, the byproduct of crude oil in a way that's you know uh, going to produce energy. It's not something you can ramp up overnight. So, just want to put that out there. I have a question. I was kind of like interrupted before, but yeah, yeah uh, my question is more on on um, I guess oil and uh, do you think that this is kind of the final push for certain governments globally to start? investing in the local infrastructure and labor pool because uh, countries like nigeria for example nigeria has been uh it's been using its oil to really fund a lot of its things and recently uh, they got hit really badly because of it and they got a loan from the imf and world bank for about seven billion dollars so i mean like uh, saudi arabia can handle it russia can probably handle it but all of these other smaller countries that rely on it like malaysia etc they really get hit hard. So do you think this is going to be like a push for people to get off uh, just selling oil and now start really looking at their countries and developing infrastructure? Yeah, I mean, of course, um, it's speculation. Who knows? Um, and then sometimes it's one of these instances where you know, they will be hampered by um, you know, these, these negative oil prices or these lower oil prices to the fact that you know, they might not have that much spare cash flow to actually turn around and invest in it. Uh, realistically, they should have been investing it while the times were good. Um, but, you know, sometimes people lack the clarity of mind to, to do that. And, um, you know, that clarity extends to a national level, unfortunately. Uh, and that's where we sort of get instances like this, like, yeah, where countries are almost entirely dependent on, um, you know, a single commodity to facilitate not only their debt obligations, but also their obligations to their, uh, to their citizens. Uh, when that sort of particular commodity sort of fluctuates in price, like commodities do, uh, they're left shit out of luck. Uh, and that's obviously a really, really unfortunate time because it oftentimes coincides with, um, you know, situations like this where the whole world economy has gone to shit. Um, now, the optimist in me would like to say, yeah, I think this is going to be the, the, the kick in the butt that they kind of need. Uh, the pessimist in me sort of thinks that, 
Uh, well, unfortunately, it's just not possible. Probably might not be possible for them to do anything about it right now because the world's mm. in such a bad spot. Um, and then by the time everything sort of picks up again, maybe it will all be long forgotten and they'll be sort of making lots of money, drilling lots of oil. Um, yeah, it's one of those things that requires a lot of foresight. Uh, and there's an awful lack of foresight in the world at the moment. Now I'm just sounding like a pessimist, though. That's true. I mean, Venezuela also is quite reliant on oil for most of their things. And even with pressure externally, they still seem to be struggling. So we might see unrest in like those places. Yeah, so, absolutely. I'm optimistic, but let's see. Thank you. No, that's okay. Well, I'd I like to point out that with uh, in Venezuela, the oil, Venezuela isn't so much uh, dependent on oil. Well, <laughs> I say are, that, but it, it, it's uh, their capacity to produce oil has decreased substantially, right? You, you, yeah. you know what I'm. Yes, yeah, we've actually got a video yep. on the uh, yeah the economics exactly. of, uh, of Venezuela. So, so yeah, uh, you know, it's it is a part of their economy, uh, but they're mainly riding off of well. I don't even know what they're writing off of these days. The debt. They, they did not uh, use those oil funds uh, the best way. What, what, well, what, one thing with oil, this, too, we're looking at uh, peak demand pretty soon, right? I mean, within the next uh, decade or two. So at that point, the places that have place where it's places where it's cheap to extract oil, they're just going to ramp up production, I think. And then it's you know it's going to be the prices are going to stay you know pretty low. Yeah, it's an interesting thought experiment. The idea that, uh, you know, eventually we're going to sort of embrace renewables, people will be driving electric cars or paying public transport that's electric and uh, our desire and, and demand for fossil fuels, especially things like crude oil, um, will be reduced. Um, now, there are some counter arguments to that. The idea that maybe the third world um, will move into a developing state where they will have a heavy reliance on, on fossil fuels and, you know, it will sort of pick up where these sort of developed countries left off. <laughs> Um, but for the most part, I sort of agree with the idea that, yeah, eventually, you know, we're going to sort of wean ourselves off this reliance of fossil fuels because you know, technologies like electric cars and, um, you know, things of that nature will just make it economically viable to do so. Uh, and that sort of leaves these countries in a bit of, of a predicament. It's like, well, do I sort of sit here and listen to OPEC or do I sort of bolt for the door and sell as much oil as I can while the going's good or, uh, you know, what's our best sort of play here? Uh, it's a really difficult one, and you know, obviously, I don't know the answer. If I did, I'd be, uh, you know, the head of some oil country somewhere. But uh, alas, it's it's kind of a tricky sort of game that they're playing. Um, the oil price charts on futures and indexes show that the oil in most of the world is green again. It's um, it has increased lately from negative into the green zone again. What is your take? Yeah, so uh, the very, very important point to note is that barrels of oil um, that you held um, were not worth a negative amount. Uh, May futures for oil contracts that were deliverable to Cushing, Oklahoma, they went into negative because there was not enough space in Cushing, Oklahoma. Uh, now, the date have, for that has passed. It was two days ago. Um, and now, of course, you know they've got a month to sort of find some more facilities or ramp down production and sort of get everything back into line. Uh, and especially with Saudi Arabia and Russia and, and you know, by an extension OPEC, uh, agreeing to, to be friendly again. Uh, yeah, of course, uh, there was a logical um, sort of appreciation in prices and 
Uh, I imagine that they're going to stay low for a very, very long time, especially as it relates to you know, the world basically in lockdown. Um, but uh, they they won't stay negative. No, ne- the negative oil prices was the um, result of some some inefficiencies and some nuances, uh, some some really strange things that are a product of our very very convoluted bureaucratic uh, financial system. But it's still interesting nonetheless, of course. Uh, I don't know if you asked this question or answered this question already, but how come other benchmarks did not actually go down as much as uh, WTI? Sorry, what was the question? Your microphone's a little bit funny. All right, can you hear me now? Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. So how come other benchmarks did not actually go down as much as uh, WTI did? Uh, which benchmarks? Uh, so print... Hmm. Okay. Because um, yeah, as far so as right I'm aware, of that is because they're two different products. Okay. Yeah. Just because we call it oil doesn't mean they are the same things. We use crude oil as kind of a catch-all term, but when we're really talking about crude oil, we always preface it with what we're what type of uh, crude oil. Uh, WTI is West or West Texas um, uh, crude is a very specific type of oil. Uh, that's chemical properties are different from Brent. It's also um, landlocked, and Brent isn't landlocked, so that makes a big difference as far as ability to, to move it. Petroleum. Yeah, this is so. That's why you gotta you have to be careful with that. Um, so. Yeah, and also um, you have to sort of look at, uh, you know, where it's deliverable to. You know, a lot of these contracts are financially deliverable, uh, and then you know, look, uh, as, as far as I'm aware, WTI's you know futures contracts are delivered to. Uh, pushing Oklahoma, and, and that's it. Um, there's no sort of alternatives to that. And if that facility's full, uh, well, then you've got a problem. Because you either got to store it somewhere else and get it out of there real quick, smart, uh, or, um, you know, you've got to, I don't know, uh, sort of figure out a way to, to keep it elsewhere. Get out there with some, some jerry cans, I guess. Uh, who asked the question about the uh, indexes? Uh, not sure. your name. Are you talking about the benchmarks? Yeah. You asked yeah, about the benchmarks? Okay. I, sorry, I'm linking you an article. Sure, yeah. Thank you. But just to make sure I understand this, so the, the other uh, types of crude did not have the same uh, degree of storage crisis. That's why the prices did not just go down as much. Yeah. That's, that's, that's more or less right. You know, there are uh, some other sort of things that Captain Lock touched on. You know, there are sort of independent markets in the same way that, uh, you know, if the S&P 500 falls... Uh, there's no guarantee that Apple falls. Now, of course, the difference between different types of oil is not as severe as the difference between, I don't know, Apple and Amazon, but, um, you know, the same technical thing sort of applies. They're different markets. They're not always perfectly correlated, uh, but normally they sort of generally move together a big picture. Um, And then, yeah, of course, you know, different futures were either financially deliverable where they didn't have necessarily that same problem. Uh, They still lost a lot of value, um, but they weren't in the oh shit, you know, I've got to sell this, I've got to sell this now, otherwise someone's going to rock up on my doorstep and try and pump oil into my swimming pool kind of situation. I see. Okay, thank you. Uh, Lord of the Flies asked, what will the macroeconomic impact on different countries be with respect to net oil producing, oil consuming, and oil processing as a significant portion of their economy? Um, well, look, I mean, uh, it should, like, I mean, obviously the very basic analysis is if you are a net oil consuming country, yippee, 
good for you. This is a great time to be alive. You're going to get some cheap oil. Um, you know, of course, all of the tragedies in the world ignored. Um, that's, a, that's a pretty big win for you. Uh, if you're a net oil producing country, well, yeah, shit out of luck. Uh, and if you're a net oil processing country, it actually might be sort of one of those weird things. Uh, effectively, if you're a processing country, like if you're someone that just refines oil um, or transports oil or um, you know, does something like that, facilitates the, the movement of oil, uh, it might actually not that be that bad for you. Uh, especially if you're a, a processing country, like let's say a country that just relies on refining. Um, you know, something to consider is the fact that you know, these, these countries want to get rid of crude oil. Uh, and they want to turn it into something that can actually be used. Uh, a great way to get rid of oil is to, to blow it up in your engine. Uh, so if you can turn it into petroleum and sell it off as cheap as possible, it's a nice effective way to get rid of it. Oh, someone's echoing, um, and I'll try and hunt them down. Uh, friendly reminder, to, if you don't have a question that you're asking right now, uh, just mute your microphones, please. Uh, but great question. Uh, and then look, of course, the actual outcomes might be more complex than that, who uh, who knows? But obviously, on the surface, that's going to be the basic. Uh, that's going to be the basic function for those three hypothetical countries, respectively. Uh, hey there. Um, the big question from uh, my current uh, country, as I'm from Singapore. So our country actually does have a pretty huge oil processing sort of economy. Uh, so uh, I'm going to stop you. I'm going to stop you there. Uh, I'm not sure if it's coming through on everyone else's, but yeah, your microphone is yeah, it is it very, is. very bad. You sound like uh, oh yeah, C3P yeah, been put funny. through a meat grinder. So um, just just type oh, out your question. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> just type out. Your yeah, question. sorry. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I think I'll yeah, make sure it, to it. Uh, make sure to at uh, Captain Lock, uh, and then I'll bring it up later. Uh, someone on the uh, YouTube live stream said, is it possible that low demand's effect on oil price is still not seen? Uh, that's an interesting one, yeah, because, uh, of course, futures contracts are speculative, right? So um, if you hear something about, like, I don't know, the coronavirus, meaning that everyone's staying at home and airlines are grounded and that, you're going to be like, hmm, airlines grounded, people not commuting, oh, people are not burning oil, I'm going to react to that in terms of prices, you beauty. Um so futures are, are ultimately a speculative market and they can react quite quickly. Um, but oil itself, the actual products that, you know, is shipped from, you know, pulled out of the ground, shipped from one country to another where it's refined and then shipped to a gas station where it's bought and sold and blown up in your engine. Um, that is, a, it's a commodity that sort of reacts a bit slower to prices. Uh, you know, of course, there are sort of, you probably see, oh, have I been, have I not been talking? Uh, no, something just happened. Oh, okay. I don't know how far I got. I was talking about commodities being speculative versus actual oil that's, um, you know, useful. How far did I get? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what just happened. Did everyone else experience, uh, like, Discord just lagging out? No, I only, well, I almost like the yep. last few seconds. Yes, we did. Okay. All right. Yes. Um, so anyway, what I was trying to say is, is derivatives are speculative. They act re react really, really fast to news um, because, of course, you know, it's basically a, you know, it's akin to a stock market or something like that. There's a lot of liquidity. You can sort of move things really, really quickly. Uh, and people will think, oh, okay, you know, coronavirus equals low oil prices. Click, uh, you know, OPEC and Russia going to war with each other. Uh, low oil prices, click. Um, and that is how it sort of reacts. Now, actual petroleum in terms of, you know, the stuff that you're going to pump into your car is a little bit slower to react. 
Uh, now, in a certain sense, I'm sure most of you, if you've gone past a gas station recently, will see that, uh, yeah, you know, prices are lower, but not nearly as much as what would sort of be uh, typically indicative of the kind of price drops that we've seen. Um, so, uh, Sarangasa sort of said on the YouTube live stream, is it possible that we haven't seen the effects yet, given that there's sort of a time delay um, in... Uh, you know, oil being extracted and then shipped, refined, and then actually sort of sold at, at gas stations. The answer to that is uh, potentially yes. Um, you know, obviously a lot of these is sort of speculatively built into the prices, but operating businesses like gas stations, um, operating businesses like oil companies are going to charge what they think they can get away with. Uh, and they're selling it to con consumers that ultimately need this product rather than speculators that, you know, just want to make some money. Um, so there's there's every potential that uh, yeah there, there's been a bit of a delay there. Um, will it sort of be severe? Who knows? Um, of course, speculation is is a uh, a wild game that you know can make everyone look like fools. Um, but yeah, hypothetically, I think uh, I think we're going to see oil prices like if we're looking at what's listed on your local gas station uh, slowly creep down uh, and stay low for a little while. Um, but it's ultimately going to depend on, um, you know, how, how nice that uh, OPEC and Russia can play from here on out, uh, as well as what happens with, you know, lockdowns, uh, coronavirus in different countries, and how quickly the economy uh, and, you know, institutions recover from that. But how, how quickly that happens? Well, that's anyone's guess, of course. A good question. Lots to, lots to dissect there. I like that one. Uh, so I don't think this is an economics question, but um, during the Cold War, uh, since I'm Swedish, I've read about Swedish history, and what they did during the Cold War is that they buried large amounts of uh, oil or petrol in uh, mountains to like keep them as reserves in case of war with Russia or defense. And uh, now that oil is so cheap, are other countries like possibly gonna buy up a lot of this unused or un, uh, unclaimed oil? Why would they buy it up now? Uh, now that oil's cheap, they should just buy it from you know ordinary producers. Uh, likely, they're gonna buy it up when it gets really, really expensive. Because I would say um, pumping oil out of uh, mountain facilities and stuff like that would be uh, significantly harder than uh, just you know working with regular supply chains? Uh, good question, and I, for life of me, I had no idea. Uh, and I like to consider myself a bit of a history nerd. Uh, so that's really, really interesting. I suppose it's sort of a sensible sort of uh, thing to, to kind of look at. Um, but uh, short term, no. No, I don't think they're going to be used. Uh, if anything, it's going to be the opposite. Um, they're probably going to, I don't know, maybe take the opportunity to fill their mountains up just that little bit more. Yeah, uh, because... Um... Well, the, the the reason why the government did that was because, like, in case of uh, invasion, we wouldn't really stand a chance. And the thing with burying it in the mountains was so that they could, like, continue on like a rebellion and still have oil and gas for the vehicles, like, in the woods and forests and, like, keep on, like, like keeping on a guerrilla tactic against the Russians. So, like, national security reasons or something, like, the U.S. probably does something like the same yeah they have buying up oil and storing it they have strategic oil reserves yeah and i think look um i would say that's more of a geopolitical military tactic rather than a purely economic decision uh in the same way that there's probably not much to be sort of said economically for having 
12 aircraft carriers, um, but of course there are other reasons to do so. Uh, and I'd say that's probably the reason here. It, realistically, it's probably not going to be a hugely influential sort of uh, piece of trivia as it relates to negative oil. But um, hey, I learned something. So um, fantastic question. I like that one. Yeah. But like with the, maybe like with the possibility of governments buying up oil, would that like help the markets reach higher oil prices because of increased no. Yeah, well, I mean, if they were going to do it, they, they would. It's ultimately, um, you know, they're, they're going to max out their capacity to keep oil on hand. Um, I'm not sure what's happening with strategic oil reserves in the United States um, or, you know, what's happening with these particular mountains in Sweden. But they'll, they'll buy it up. And uh, I think most of the time that, that kind of uh, the kind of capacity that they have yeah. is relatively incidental compared to the, the greater market. Oh, okay, yeah. Craig. Uh, Jesus. Uh, that no. was awful. Someone had an accident. Ah, sounds like someone actually, like, I don't know. Jeez. Well, okay. Well, friendly reminder to mute your microphones by default, guys. <laughs> Thank you. So you don't want to be that uh, guy. I get a question. Yes, you have a question. Um, Go ahead. Before, before all of these things, I, I heard things like the whole world economy is based on oil. Um, and it seems like now, it seems now that oil can go negative while the other parts of the economy are not directly affected by oil, but just, I mean, follow their own path. Um, so is the world economy not really based on oil? Was it just a metaphor? Um, well, look, obviously oil has always been hugely influential. Uh, and realistically, I think it's sort of its grip on um, the world economy has probably been sort of uh, receding in recent years. Of course, as alternatives come up and, uh, and people move to alternative forms of, of energy. Uh, but I think what may be sort of a better anecdote is that the, the world economy relies on energy. Um, and of course, you know, fossil fuels have been a nice reliable, cheap, easy source of energy for a very, very long time. Uh, but nowadays we have alternatives. Uh, and look, uh, in this case, um, I, I think what you're sort of saying is, well, um, you know, oil prices are still crashing, but it actually looks like the world economy is recovering. Um, two things there. Well, look, I mean, the, the world economy is not, not recovering, but at least like it's not completely breaking down just because oil went negative. Yeah, well, I think it's completely breaking down for uh, some other reasons. Um, you know, our, our level of debt and, of course, a, um, you know, very, very wide quarantine that, um, you know, hopefully is showing signs of improving at the moment, but uh, is going to have very, very, very long lasting impacts on our economy. So I think there are probably, uh, I, I think the way to potentially think about this is um, there are some good points to, to uh, negative oil prices, especially if you're an oil consuming nation or especially if you're a business that's not directly sort of correlated to the price of oil. You know, if you're something like logistics or transport or something like that, something that requires burning a lot of fuel, uh, your overheads have gone down. Um, but all of that aside, I think, think of it like this. Uh, let's say the world economy is a, is a friendly little gentleman uh, and then some big bad bouncer man comes along, um, you know, uh, with a baseball bat and this, this bouncer man is called coronavirus and he just slaps him over the head. So yeah, our poor little world economy is in pretty bad shape over this. Uh, and then, you know, negative oil prices sort of 
um, sees what uh, you know, sees what Mr. Coronavirus there is doing, and they, uh, I don't know, maybe they come and uh, swat them over the, the wrist with a fly swat. Uh, now, normally, you know, this would hurt, but uh, I think in the grand scheme of things, compared to being beaten over the head with a, uh, you know, a baseball bat, it's probably relatively incidental in the grand scheme of things. Um, so, you know, I don't know. That's a pretty weak analogy that I just sort of then, but hopefully, it sort of adds perspective as to we've got bigger problems right now. Um, but yeah, normally in isolation, this would be a bit of a concern. Is it reasonable to expect anything else going negative prices? Yeah, well, you think of yeah, you think of things that are sort of normally consumable um, that that come from sort of the standard operation of uh, industry. I mean, it sounds like a pretty bit of a, a bit of a lame one, um, but you know, uh, natural gas potentially as well. Same sort of thing. There's limitations on how much we can supply. Uh, but if you think of a market where, um, you know, uh, basically that market relies on industry. That market on relies on industry. All right, oh. so where is that? No, no, I got him. Oh, a mute your microphone by default, guys. Uh, that market relies on industry continuing. Uh, then, yeah, uh, for the life of me, I can't think of one off the top of my head. But, uh, but certainly, yeah, there are potentials that, you know, there are other sort of um, probably lesser markets that do rely on the continued growth of the uh, continued operation of industry. Uh, and yeah, I, I fully expect that we'll sort of see something like that as well. Thank you. Yes, can I ask this one question about oil being a commodity in which wealth is stored? Yeah, go ahead, Keynesian. Oil is a commodity that must be, you know, consumed and wasted fastly after being produced. And its price of keeping is uh, high and it's volatile because of possible supply crisis. Uh, why would anyone prefer to keep their wealth in oil as a commodity rather than, for example, gold, uh, considering the fact that uh, even with other commodities like gold, silver, uh, you you have some fractional reserves, so you don't have to uh, you don't have to have physically one kilogram of gold in order to buy one kilogram of gold. So why would anyone prefer oil over gold? Uh, well, I'm not sure if people really do use gold as a, as a store of, of wealth, to be honest. Um, because you petroleum could, or yeah. net crude, right? Yeah, I, like people will invest into to oil producing companies and things like that. Um, but you said it yourself, obviously it's something that gets used and if it doesn't get used, it goes off. It's, uh, it's kind of like investing all of your wealth into milk. Um, yeah, you know, <laughs> probably not the greatest of ideas. Um, so to answer your question, I, I don't think people really do. Yeah, you'd be hard for the only, the only people who are like super exposed to oil are the oil companies themselves, and even then, you know, they diversify the their actual like return risk uh, to the shareholders, and the shareholders hopefully don't have their entire portfolio of just uh, oil companies. Hopefully. Yes, I yes, I, I understood it. Yeah, yeah but my, my, kind, my question was more likely, like, why would anyone uh, invest in oil, considering that, as I said, oil is a very risky investment. You can easily lose a lot of money there, but, but I, I think easily, the profits... You can yeah. easily yeah. make a lot of profits. So it just yeah. comes down to the person's tolerance for risk. But yeah. to, to, to answer your question, oil is not like an investment like you make like uh, shares or bonds or gold or silver or something like that where you, where you buy and you hold it and you, you hold it for a long time and it goes up. Uh, people invest into oil through futures contracts, which are basically, you know, they'll, they'll have a set time limit. Um, so in this amount of time, 
Uh, you make money or you lose money. It's akin to betting on a horse race, um, realistically. Now, of course, there are sort of a few intricacies that make it probably slightly better than betting on a horse race, but effectively it's the same thing. Uh, you win or you lose. Um, and you know, once that horse race is run, uh, your investment doesn't exist anymore. You either have some more money that you can then throw on another horse race or you don't have it anymore. Um, so that, that's how people sort of invest. Um, but realistically, uh, maybe invest is a confusing word. Perhaps you should think of it more as speculate on the oil market sure. rather than buying and holding. Yeah. So the, yeah, it's like it, so the, it's, the real people who are, who are using these uh, derivative contracts, and we talk about the speculators, but there's also the airline companies, uh, and they're uh, and the, the airline companies and the oil producers, and they're primarily looking to hedge risk. Um, so hedging is kind of uh, take is is protecting yourself from the bad times by giving up uh, the uh, high returns during the good times. You trade one, you trade you trade few uh, excess future profits for protecting yourself in the downside. That's ultimately what hedging is. And so the reason why these types of investments, quote unquote investment, what are derivatives, uh, exist uh, is to uh, for hedging risk. So people can can continue operating. So oil companies can continue producing, knowing that the price of oil, uh, they don't have to worry as much like day to day they still got to worry about it but you know it's not that they have to they, um, they effectively offload the risk to someone else so in the same way that you buy an insurance contract on let's say your car so if your car crashes and burns um you know you can get a new car or um at least you know you sort of covered there uh things like airline companies airline companies are a great example um, they'll buy futures contracts for oil because they'll sort of say, okay, we can we can run our budget, uh, you know, our 2019, 2020 budget around oil costing this amount of money. Uh, we can plan on which flights we're going to run, how much we're going to pay our crew and all that. But it all depends on oil being $30 a barrel. If oil goes to $50 a barrel, then we're fucked. Uh, if, oil goes to negative if oil goes to $20 a barrel, fantastic, but we don't really want to take that risk. So what we'll do is we'll buy these futures and that guarantees us that we have this nice stable supply of oil for $30. Now on the other side, there's someone that's wanting to take that risk and they'll go, you beauty, yeah, no worries. I think oil is gonna go to $50. I'll take on that risk for you. Now if oil goes down, okay, well that's shit. They have to pay the, the, the airline company. Um, if oil goes up, uh, sorry, if oil you know goes down, it, what it does is effectively, sorry, I confuse myself now. What it does is effectively offload the risk from someone that doesn't want to take the risk like an operating company, like an airline, to someone that does want to take the risk. So they have the chance to profit, but they also have the chance to lose, whereas the airline company just stays perfectly natural. You know, they can count on what they're going to, to take on board. So does, does that sort of make sense? The answer is understandable. Thank you. Have a great day. <laughs> no worries. If, if anyone's interested in understanding a little bit more about derivatives, after EE is, is gone, uh, I will talk about uh, derivatives and walk you guys through some uh, examples. Sorry, I'm just plugging myself there. No, no, absolutely. Uh, sometimes these conversations are, uh, yeah, fantastic. And I always uh, encourage people um, to stay on after the Q&A stream so all, at least I sort of bugger off and go to bed um, because, uh, yeah, uh, hopefully it um, you know, continues and you discuss plenty more interesting things. No, that sounds interesting. I would be interested in it.
Okay. There's a lull. Lord yeah. of Flies asked that question. Do you see it in chat? Uh, yeah. Read it to me so that everyone else can hear it over on the YouTube live stream as well. Yep. Uh, thank you for replying to my question. I'm from Singapore, which has a pretty significant oil processing industry as part of our economy. Due to our small economic size, our economic trends are usually at the whims of global economic situations. I was wondering what would be the extent of this falling oil prices on smaller economies with various relations with oils, such as Singapore, oil processing, Brunei, oil producing, Taiwan, oil importing, and how are these effects affected by the current economic downturn? Um, so uh, thanks for the question, Lord of the Flies. Uh, for the life of me, I do think I've pretty much answered this one to the, the, the extent that I can without sort of just going into wild speculation, um, which is if you're an oil consuming nation, this is probably pretty good for you. You get cheaper oil, uh, which means that when your industries fire back up again, you know, maybe you're going to get a, you know, get a little bit of a boost to, to your profit margins. You beauty. If you're an oil producing nation, well, that's pretty shit because you're not going to be able to make as much money off your reserves. Uh, it's a pretty bad situation for you to be in. If you're an oil processing nation, like let's say Singapore, uh, that has significant refineries that uh, that do sort of um, process a lot of a lot of oil and sort of turn it into its component parts, um, it might just very well be business as usual for you. Your um, your economy sort of depends more on trading volume rather than trading price. Sure, if you buy oil uh, at a cheaper price per barrel, it's good on your your front end. But if you then sell the component parts cheaper, uh, effectively it sort of balances itself out. Um, what's really going to be impacted, uh, what's really going to impact uh, Singapore is, is how much is there to be processed. Now at the moment, of course, we're, we're struggling through huge supply. Um, so short term, it might actually be pretty good uh, for Singapore. But again, that's as pretty much as far as I can go. Uh, and apologies, it might not be the satisfying answer that you're after. Um, but I promise no, many, no matter how many different ways you ask the question, I'm not going to have a different answer. So sorry. <laughs> I would have a question regarding the um, dependency on oil, our economy being dependent on oil. Because yes, we were talking about when oil prices go down, the economy should go down. But I would have a question if you now exclude all companies that produce oil or process oil. Shouldn't our company, our, the income of the companies be negatively correlated to oil prices? Because when oil prices go down, the costs for those companies are going down, so the gains should be rising. Yeah, and that's what I said. That that was a point of the video, actually. Look, if you're a, com a company that doesn't rely on selling oil or uh, facilitating some kind of oil market, uh, it might actually be sort of a, a nice little blessing for you. Um, so it's a, probably a much needed blessing for, for things like airline companies. Uh, you know, of course, a lot of them are still flying to accommodate things like uh, vital air transport uh, or, or logistics. And, you know, if they can kind of get away with having sort of less overheads in terms of their oil prices, uh, it's fantastic. Hopefully they didn't buy futures contracts. Um, but um, yeah, either way though, it is one of those things where, um, you know, even on a sort of more granular level, you, um, you know, household budgets around the world, um, you know, people are on reduced incomes. I don't know if it's the same in, in a lot of uh, countries around the world, but here in Australia, the big four accounting firms, KPMG, Deloitte, um, they're the big ones that sort of came forward and said they're cutting staff wages by 20%. And they're still expecting people to come into work. Pretty shitty situation if you work for one of those accounting firms, right? Um, but, you know, obviously that's pretty bad. Um, but a nice little blessing for you is, hey, you know, 
um, your actual transport costs are going to be a little bit less because, uh, you know, suddenly instead of paying $60 a week to fill up, you know, maybe you're only paying $30 a week. Not nearly going to offset the money that you've lost in uh, the impending economic crash, but um, it's, it's a nice little boost. And the same sort of works on, um, you know, individual levels, commercial levels, company levels, uh, and then of course national levels as well. Um, so long as you don't rely on actually selling oil. So hopefully that um, makes sense. Yep, um, thank you. Is it feasible to think that um, Saudi Arabia and Russia regretted the price going into the price war at the worst possible time, or would they just rather be happy that it went out better than they would have expected? <laughs> um, well, that, that that involves reading the mind of uh, Mr. Putin there, and uh, man, no man is brave enough to do that, and I don't want to wake up suicided, so. No, the truth is, um, I, I honestly don't know. Look, at the end of the day, obviously, they, they probably wanted want to do some damage. But... Yeah, but I, I think they obviously wanted to do some damage. Um, but, of course, you know, their their, their economy itself is, is relying on this. So um, I would I would hazard a guess to say that, yeah, probably probably not the greatest of times for them. Uh, but I think once that they were in and amongst it, they were sort of like, well, shit, we've got to probably got to double down on this because um, it's going to be sort of a pretty rough time to be an oil producing country anyway. So uh, the last thing we want to be is, is the little bitch of the oil producing companies, uh, country, sorry. Well, and isn't, yeah, so I have a question. Um, so what we've seen in the futures market with, uh, market with uh, oil, uh, Gold box or and silver box uh, like rules uh, now say that the same can happen to gold, where there's like a so shortage in gold, and that because of the shortage, the now the sh the, the shortest are actually uh, the one who can't deliver the gold, and that gold so well. Do you think that's likely? Uh, so run the run the question by me again. So basically, do you think it's likely that this is what what happened in the oil that now now the like the, the longs uh, can't get the uh, oil. Do you think that it's likely that like in, in sectors where there's like a shortage, like in gold and oil or gold and silver, that um, that there is going to be like a, a short squeeze, like that the shortest can't uh, deliver the gold? Um, so you're, you're speculating that people are going to um, demand their, their gold back. Uh, apologies, mm -hmm. I... Don't quite answer. Uh, don't quite understand the question. Uh, I, I think what he's trying to say is like, could the same thing happen to gold and silver that happened with oil, where the where the futures are, become negative? Now the other way around. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I meant to say the other way around because like there's like a shortage in gold and silver. So right. like the people, who, so like the the people who make the contracts for the the, the futures, like the shorters, who actually have to deliver the gold. Uh, actually, like most of the time, you said it yourself. Don't actually own the the commodity or the oil of their gold itself. So because there's a shortage, do you think that it's likely that, that it can happen the other way around? Uh, yeah, and, and yeah, what you said is a, is a short squeeze is, is correct there. Uh, and now the, the blessing in disguise, I suppose, for, for most gold futures is that they're financially, um, financially settled as opposed to physically settled. So no one actually sort of rocks up uh, and delivers gold to your doorstep. Most of the time, it's like um, gold reserves in the Bank of England is what they use for, for most futures. Um, and that is where you have the fact that it's like, oh, okay, well, look, 
gold is X price on this day. Um, we'll just sort of settle it on what it sort of says the price is. Uh, and well, sure, I mean, I guess that could happen. Um, there's no reason to think that it would for any particular reason. I mean, gold has been sort of relatively neutral in amongst all of this. Uh, if anything, it's sort of decreased in value, which is um, sort of historically not what it used to do. It used to be sort of something that would move contrary to, to sort of more speculative markets, but uh, it's not really its role in the world anymore, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I mean, a short squeeze can happen to anyone. Um, to explain what a short squeeze is, um, does every, well, uh, shorting a stock is where you, um, and normally it happens with stocks, uh, of course it can happen with, with anything, uh, is where you borrow a stock. So let's say we're shorting Apple because we think it's going to go down. Um, let's say you borrow 100 Apple shares and you sell them for $100 each. You beauty, you've just made $10,000, but you still owe someone out there 100 Apple shares. So... What you do is you hope that Apple shares depreciate to $50. Now, if they do, you can buy up 50 Apple shares. It's going to cost you $5,000. And then you give that person their 100 Apple shares back. That's the fundamentals of shorting. With that, the other person has you know, lent out 100 Apple shares. They've received 100 Apple shares back. They're none the wiser. Uh, you have sold for $10,000 and then bought again at $5,000. So you're $5,000 richer. But if it goes the other way, you can get into real trouble. Um, now let's say your net worth is $20,000. That's your total asset position. You know, that's, that's how much you're worth. Um, now, if Apple shares go to $300 each, well, you can't sustain that. There's no way that you are going to be able to buy back that, you know, that position because you don't have $30,000, which is what you would need to buy 100 Apple shares at $300 each. So you're effectively squeezed out of the market when it gets to 200. Um, and that's why they call it a short squeeze. Oftentimes people can be quite competitive about this. Um, when you see to see institutions that have a very public short position, um, it happened with uh, uh, Bill Ackman when he shorted uh, Herbalife. Um, he sort of had a, this, this very public short position and he sort of said, yep, I'm shorting Herbalife because I think it's a pyramid scheme. Uh, and then another sort of hedge fund billionaire, Carl Icahn, came along and was like, you beauty, no worries, I'm just going to buy up Herbalife. It's not necessarily because I believe that the, the company's got good underlying fundamentals or anything like that, but I know if I keep on buying up, eventually you're going to have to exit your position, which means you're going to have to buy up at the inflated price, and I can just sell my overinflated shares to you. Um, so it's a bit of an aggressive uh, tactic. Um, but yeah, that, that's sort of what a short squeeze is. Now, as it relates to gold, um, I mean, I guess it could happen. I, I, don't, I don't sort of see any particular reason why it would um, now more so than, than ever. Okay, thank you. Oops, sorry, I muted you, but you were echoing there. Uh, but good question, and I, uh, I always love sort of exploring. I think short squeezing is, is one of the most sort of ruthless things that can happen there on Wall Street. It's quite, um, well, it's quite exciting in a, in a nerdy economics kind of way. Uh, so outside of that... It's quite depressing as well. Oh, yeah, I guess so, yeah. Especially for, you know, I like to think of myself as, you know, being more short uh, on the short side than on the buy side. Uh, so I look at that and I just get depressed thinking about that. Yeah, well, I mean, I suppose it's, uh, uh, you know, uh, sort of fortune favours the uh, 
fortune favors the optimistic, it would seem, in terms of historic investment. But um, but who yeah. knows? I was really hoping Herbalife would go down, and it's, uh, not just for investment reasons, but for you know moral, ethical reasons as well. Yeah, I mean, there was probably not a lot riding on that. Is it possible like roll forward or short though? So can you just like short it again? Uh, so can you buy and then short? Well, yeah, but the thing is, if um, let's say you've lost your position, you might have lost all of your damn money, uh, which means you can't cover another short position again. Yeah. So it's like saying, oh, well, if you think about it in reverse, it's like saying, oh, okay, well, look, uh, I bought you know, 100 Apple shares and then they went to $0 because Apple went bankrupt. Oh, that's okay. I can just buy Samsung. Well, if you had all of your net worth piled into Apple shares, well, no, you can't buy Samsung because you don't have any money left. Yeah, if you have an infinite amount of money, you could easily short stuff and not have to worry. Well, but people it, don't have an infinite amount of money. If you had an infinite amount of money, you wouldn't even have to worry about shorting. Exactly. Like that. You just, You'd be the Federal Reserve if you had an infinite amount exactly. of money. Exactly. Hey, there we go. And this is the problem with shorting a lot of the time. It's a necessary thing in the market, but it's just hard to to do. And it's also, it inherently is, uh, you know, saying that you don't believe uh that the market is correct. Like you, you're basically giving the finger to everybody else. It's a hard thing to do. Yeah, talking about short positions is only making me think about the big shorts. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Oh boy. <laughs> cool. Um. So, uh, does anyone have any? That was a good one. Uh, does anyone have Number any? number of people are asking, uh, does the dollar weaken due to oil crash? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, it's one of the sort of um, the factors, uh, but realistically, uh, no. Um, oil, it's kind of lucky that most oil is traded in US dollars, you know, hence the, the petrodollar, I suppose. Um, but uh, there's no sort of in, intrinsic reason why, uh, why it would, because effectively it's just used to facilitate trade um, rather than being used as uh, something that is correlated to to it, um, I think potentially. But I think you know any any kind of negative influence that that has uh, is probably outpaced by the positive influence that people really really want to get into secure markets. And sometimes the U.S. dollars or U.S. Treasury bills are seen as the ultimate secure market in the world. So um, you know the, the U.S. dollar is probably going to appreciate in value in in relation to that. Or, or it will depreciate in value because uh, you guys have by far the most uh, cases of coronavirus. Uh, so, you know, hey, here, here in comes the fun of speculating. Uh, what's going to have more of, a, of an impact? I can't hear EE if he's talking. No, he's, no, he's I not talking. Hear me there. No, he paused. Oh. He stopped. He asked a question and paused, waiting for everybody else. Uh, oh, uh, okay. I sort of said something to the effect of, uh, I don't know if no one answered my question, but, uh, but yeah, I said something to the effect of, no, no, not really. Um, because, you know, people are rushing into the US dollar market um, because they want a nice sort of stable investment in these trying times and treasury bills and stuff like that are, are seen as the ultimate safe investment. Um, so if anything, that's going to appreciate the dollar more so than uh, any kind of negative impact of the petrodollar is going to. Uh, and then on the flip side, well, hey, you know, maybe um, the fact that, uh, you know, America has, you know, some three quarters of a million coronavirus cases now and 
you know, that might sort of really affect their economy. Maybe that's going to put a downward pressure on the US dollar. Uh, and I sort of made a joke that therein lies the fun of speculating. Uh, that was more or less sort of what I said. So I'm not sure um, what people missed there. And apologies, I think my Discord and or my internet is being a bit temperamental tonight. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, yeah, it's good. Beautiful. Okay. Um, yeah, no, no um, worries. Does anyone else have any, any sort of questions? Um, yes, I do. Go ahead. Uh, for, uh, right now, Saudi Arabia and Russia like are trying uh, dropping their prices to increase their market share. Like uh, oil contracts, are they variable? Because what would they do with a eighteen dollar contract for crude oil? Wouldn't they be losing money? So how do you mean, like, uh, if um, the the government is sort of selling oil for for eighteen dollars? You know, you're saying that the cost of extraction and transportation is going to exceed that. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's one of those uh, one of those things now, and I'm not actually sure of. Um, the operating margins for for Russia's oil industry, um, but yeah, it is obviously one of those those things now. Um, sometimes it's it's a sort of a purely geopolitical thing, as I sort of said. Um, what they're doing at the moment is literally shooting themselves in the foot to to try and sort of hurt the the opposition more so than they're going to hurt themselves. Um, it, it's it's ultimately silly and. Uh, you know, everything in economics sort of points to the fact that if, hey, if you can maintain a monopoly, you absolutely should do it. Um, but, you know, they sort of have these disagreements with it, with one another. Um, and, you know, uh, that's sort of what we're going to see now. Um, people can stay irrational. So governments like Russia and Saudi Arabia um, that have strong semi-state-owned oil industries uh, can afford to just sort of keep on pumping and, and dumping all of this oil onto the market and you know, potentially take a loss if it means that they sort of gain some kind of geopolitical edge, but they haven't done it for long. Um, as I sort of said um, just sort of late earlier this week, um, they sort of agreed to cool it with the whole price war thing, uh, and we all knew it wouldn't sort of really, really last too long because, of course, you know, you are right. If they do keep it up for, for much longer, you know, they, they will start operating at a loss, which is not great when, you know, in Saudi Arabia's case, almost all of your... Um, almost all of your industry relies on sort of pumping this black sludge out of the ground. So good question. I like that. Uh, yo, E, can you answer uh, Owen's question in VC chat? So does high volatility in futures in this case put parts of the financial sector at risk? Um, do you think financial institutions are more at risk because of oil price or low interest rates? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. So um, if anything, financial institutions are kind of backed by this idea of low interest rates. Uh, this is the government sort of saying, hey, you know, look, you have all the liquidity you want. You don't need reserve ratios. Um, we're going to buy up all your junk bonds. If you need cash, you got it. So this is sending a really strong message that we've got your back there. Um, and look, I mean, long term, that has its sort of negatives. Um, we all know the meme. Uh, and, you know, of course, some of that is potentially pretty, pretty realistic. It can sort of devalue the currency and it can sort of make our system sort of over-reliant on, um, you know, sort of knowing that it will get bailed out. And there are a lot of sort of bad things to be said about that. Um, so realistically, I think the volatility in oil prices is going to have more of an impact. 
uh, especially the financial institutions that are highly exposed to um, you know this type of volatility. You know there are there are institutions that you know just deal exclusively in commodities, um, and you know sometimes they deal with it in a highly leveraged way. This kind of movement would have been outside of almost any kind of financial modelling uh, for any logical institution to operate in. Nobody, no analyst ever, um, you know, sort of before 2020 would have sort of said, oh yeah, you know, soon we're going to have negative priced futures contracts for oil. Uh, it just sounds absurd. Uh, so in the yep. same way that we sort of saw the, the volatility caused by um, you know, derivatives of mortgage-backed securities in 2008, it's potentially likely that we'll see it for oil. It's not quite as big a market, um, sort of oil versus MBS products. It was not quite as large and influential, but uh, it's still a pretty damn big market. So, um, you know, wild times. Yeah, it's interesting just to, from an analyst perspective, I'm probably like one of the most conservative analysts uh, you could find. I, you know, prepare for the worst. Um, and so when I did... Uh, financial modeling uh for i did financial modeling for exxon at a time um and i <laughs> never even considered the price of oil going negative never never once it didn't cross my mind uh i would have i never thought it could i didn't even think of it like even you know going to zero let alone in single digits uh so yeah it's, it's weird times we live in Weird times indeed. Uh, so, yeah, Olet oh, sorry, Olatech had a question. Yeah, I think it's quite good. Um, it's, it's regarding game theory. Um, yeah, uh, I can lose a lot. What is your opinion on that? So, game theory is a really interesting uh, question as it sort of relates to this. Uh, and I think um, it's a really, really great great sort of thing when you think of something like a prisoner's dilemma uh, now i actually have a video coming out about game theory um soon uh in some kind of uh, some immediate sort of future um uh keep 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 an eye out for that but as it relates to this if we think about it in the prisoner's dilemma and we think of russia as one participant and uh, saudi arabia as another participant uh, i'm going to make the assumption that people sort of have an understanding of game theory here and apologies if it goes over your head uh, if it does Make sure to watch the video when that comes out. Um, all right, so uh, you know both of them are sort of in a situation where their best outcome would be to cooperate with one another. Um, you know they can sort of sell oil for forty dollars a barrel. Yippee! They can pat each other on the back. Isn't that sort of great and fantastic? Um, the the worst effective outcome they can make for each other is to both sort of not cooperate, uh, and they're both sort of stuck selling oil for you know. Um, negative ten dollars a barrel or whatever it works out to be realistically it'll probably hover around ten to ten to twenty dollars a barrel um, where you know potentially they're not even making a profit um, but if for example um, Russia sort of limits its supply right now and Saudi Arabia keeps on sort of bottoming out the market well it can sell very very cheap oil be very very competitive and uh, it is going to sort of consume a lot of the market. And there's a lot of inertia, especially in oil markets, to where you get your oil from. Um, so neither of them really want to do that because they know that um, the alternative is that their opposition will take a shit ton of market share. So they're almost stuck into this case where either they really sort of do agree and they shake hands and they make a proper agreement that, yep, um, we're going to 
you know, sort of collude on oil prices again, or they, you know, are sort of saying, well, you know, I can't really trust you, so fuck you, I'm going to sort of play it, and, and even though we're kind of both going down, we're both going down together, because the alternative is I'm going to lose all of my money and lose market share. Um, so yeah, an interesting one. I think that would be the sort of basic game theory analysis of, of what's happening here. I don't know if you have a yeah, different opinion. Or, but the uh, question was more regarding, do you think as well that this is, because you say this is kind of a pretense war between those two, because actually both of them want the US to stop uh, producing so much oil to uh, limit themselves by OPEC rules, which the US is not doing. Right, okay, so, um, you know, limiting things like this uh, would hamper uh, more expensive types of oil production, like shale oil production, um, you know, because obviously uh, Russia and Saudi Arabia are blessed in the fact that they have sort of liquid crude oil, which is very easy to extract comparatively versus, let's say, shale oil in the United States, which makes up a, a good proportion of, uh, you know, a lot of new fields, um, which is a lot more expensive. So if they reduce the price of oil, sometimes those fields will become uneconomically viable to, to continue so they are removed from the market which means that they get rid of a competitor and then sort of later on down the road they can raise up their oil prices yeah maybe um you know opec has certainly sort of done things like that in the past um you know at the end of the day they're an anti-competitive institution if this was actually the case ah uh, who knows again that sort of involves going into the minds of uh you know the leaders of opec and and, and putin and that's a that's a pretty it's a pretty dark place. I don't know. I don't know if I can sort of think like those kind of ruthless world leaders, to be honest. Uh, Lord of Flies just asked, uh, would the cartels agreement be sustainable in the long run? Then goes on to say, in the sense uh, that would it be actually actually be at Nash equilibrium for oil prices and produce levels for all of the parties involved? Uh, yeah, um, yeah. The Nash equilibrium yeah. would dictate that if they can communicate, uh, which they can. Yes, the Nash equilibrium would be to cooperate because uh, that's going to give yeah. them the best sort of outcome. Uh, now, of course, you know, when you're looking at things like betrayal and stuff like that, uh, it goes with the assumption that, you know, they're, they're not kind of any recourse and that it, it happens in isolation. Normally, when we talk about prisoners' dilemma, we sort of say, oh, there's a concrete wall between the two prisoners. They don't know what each other is going to do. Uh, in OPEC, let's say, well, we kind of know, you know, worst case scenario, if, if a company doesn't obey, they get kicked out of OPEC and uh, OPEC can drive them out of business and then get back to business as usual. So um, the equilibrium does shift to, to cooperation. Yeah, under the cartel, it's always the most uh, efficient is uh, going to be cooperate. However, that's in a long run. So from what, in a, most people look at game theory and they always see it as a one game, one-off game, in which case it wouldn't be. But let's be real, we're, you know, OPEC isn't a one-off game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, Dev May Fu Gaming said, will inflation lead to an effective lower minimum wage in the United States? Uh, yep, that's what inflation does. Assuming, uh, of course, that the minimum wage isn't moved with inflation. Sad times. Cool. Um, all right. So, look, I think we've got to the bottom of most of the questions here, at least. Uh, and it is still 2 a.m. in the morning. So I'm going to take this opportunity to go to sleep. I would encourage, actually, everyone to stay in the chat because it sounds like uh, Ken Lock's going to give you the 101 
on uh, derivatives, which is of course an important part of this. And uh, hey, you know, maybe something you know, I couldn't even properly do justice as compared to a, an XXON uh, analyst. So uh, I think that'd be really, really interesting to stay around for. So the people on the YouTube live stream, um, go I'm check not out. Ex, I'm not an XXON analyst, just to be clear. Whoa, whoa. Right, well, what, were you, what did you say you were? Oh, someone was an XXON No, so I did, I did a year long project just studying Exxon. Ah, okay. Well, close yeah. enough. Close enough. Uh, probably, probably better anyway. You know, Exxon hires dum dums. So, um, anyway, so for the people on the YouTube live stream, I think it's great to go over to the main video. Uh, the link to the Discord channel is in the video description. So hop on there um, so you can continue the conversation. Uh, as for everyone that is here on either of them, uh, thanks for watching the video. I hope you enjoyed, and thanks for participating, and thanks for all the great questions. Uh, to all, a good night. Take care. Good night.